everybody, and welcome to the world's favorite youth baseball podcast, Clearing the Bases, featuring Coach Jimmy Filangieri. I'm David Friedman, and I want to thank you for coming along this ride with us. How are we doing today, Coach? Doing good, Dave. How's everything with you? Everything is fantastic. So, I understand there's congratulations in order for the new member of the Filangieri coaching tree. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. My grandson was born on January 19th at 1.15 in the morning. <laughs> you want me to get into wow. how much he weighed, you know, how long he was? Nah, he was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I have his training schedule all set. So six months, we start training. And I think that he'll probably be one of those kids that may get drafted right out of high school. High school. Why do you think you got to wait that long? Good point. You know, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just no, I just saw a story about a 16-year-old from, I think it was Venezuela, that got signed at 16 years old with like a $5 million signing bonus at 16. So, you know what? The bar's been set. <laughs> yeah, there's your benchmark. That's, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and hey, we know at this point the uh, – the NILs don't mean anything, so why not? You know, you can, you got uh, Cal Poly calling probably in a week or two. <laughs> yeah, the whole the, the whole thing is going to be as if my daughter doesn't kill me. <laughs> hey, I've got to think about paying for college. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, congratulations on that. That's fantastic. That's uh, number two. That's number you, two. Correct? Yep, my first one was a granddaughter. Right. My second one is a grandson. Well, they got it right on the second try. It's you know, 50%. That's, that's all well, right. I already tried to, to talk to my daughter and my son-in-law about getting my granddaughter to play softball. And, man, I was shot down. Oof. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. That's not, that's not right. No, because it's got to be baseball. Well, <laughs> good point. I mean, she could wind up being, you know, I don't know, if, if, uh, if they would give me the... The freedom, you never know. She could be the first major league woman. That's right. That's right. All right, something to shoot for. At Another fi- bar has been at set. At 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's fantastic. I wanted to bring that up. And then uh, you're recovered, recovering still from your uh, trip out to the ABCA convention? Yeah, what a trip, Dave. It was incredible. I mean, I was there for three days, and... Every year that I go, it gets better and better and better each year. It's just an amazing convention. Yeah, I know how much you look forward to it, and uh, you always have some good stories coming out of there. Do you have any um, anyone specific you want to mention that you either ran into or their presentation that you saw? I know we're, we're going to do a show about it going in the future or multiple shows, but you want to give us a little taste of what we could expect? Sure, and I just hope that I don't leave anybody out because that wouldn't be very good. But I ran into some people that that had been on the show. I ran into Anthony Pla, did a little um, recording with him. It was nice to revisit with him. And I ran into Steve Springer. I ran into Peter Caliendo, had nice conversations with, with both of them also. Then there were presentations that I went to where I listened to Jake Lindmeyer of Brookhaven College, and then I interviewed him afterwards. I listened to Zach Casto 
and he's from University of Charleston, West Virginia. And again, I went to his presentation, interviewed him afterwards. I also had a conversation with Buzz McNish of Fulton High School in Knoxville, Tennessee. That was a great conversation. You know, I, I can just keep going on. To, to be honest with you, the, the time that I was there, when I left, I was, I was exhausted. I didn't stop for, for five minutes. Yeah, those things can be overwhelming. I'm, I'm sure you also had some tough decisions to make sometimes because there's multiple things going on at the same time. Obviously, only being able to be in one place at a time, that makes it kind of tough. And I, I think we talked about this last year. Do they record these so that you can go back and see the people that you weren't there live? They do. Yes. Yeah. February 1st, they release all of the videos of all of the presentations. And yes, you are right. I had to make a lot of choices. Do I want to see this? Do I want to see that? And between that and doing the interviews, it, it was, there was just a lot going on. And I don't want to, I, I definitely, absolutely do not want to forget that I, um, I spent a lot of time with Jonathan Reinbold, who has been on the show, a good friend of mine. And because we live so far apart, I don't get to see him. I think, you know, I've seen him twice. Actually, the ABCA convention was the second time I'd actually seen him in person. Spent a lot of time with him. And it was, it, you know, again, it, it, it was fantastic. Just talking baseball. I did an interview with Jonathan also, which we will be releasing soon. Just fantastic, fantastic stuff. Great. I really look forward to hearing all of that. Well, wait a minute. Before you go on, there's one other thing I want to mention is that finally I met in person Rob Hani, who is the chairman for the Youth Travel Committee for the ABCA. And I've been trying to get him on the show. So I was able to meet him in person, have a very brief conversation with him and set up a show. Now, that I believe will be a very, very interesting show for our listeners because, again, he's the chairman for the Youth Travel committee for the ABCA. All right. Well, that sounds great. Well, I'll be looking forward to that as well. Uh, hopefully we can get those set up sooner rather than later while everything's still fresh. And before I, I assume for a position like that, he probably doesn't truly have a down season, but um, I'm thinking just like most of us, once the weather turns, we get a little busier. Uh, well, so I could yeah, tell you so just we'll have to work on getting those set up. Just from what I do know about him, yes, he's a very busy man. He's from Virginia. I know he's very involved with baseball in the state of Virginia, plus what he does for the ABCA. So, yes, you're right. We're going to you know, probably have to try and shoehorn him in somewhere. Yeah, yeah, we got a busy couple months coming up, uh, certainly. So that all sounds great. Speaking of great, we've got the founder of a Facebook page. I know you're a huge fan of. I recently have become as well. It's called The Coach's Diary, and his name is Reggie Bibb. He's a coach down in Texas. He's a youth coach. He coaches primarily basketball. I think he does some soccer as well. Looking forward to speaking to him. I know you're the one, you had made the original contact with him. What is it about his page that made you really want to get him on the show? Well, you know, little by little, I, I started seeing Post from a coach's diary. Most of his posts are quotes from high-level coaches, whether it be basketball, football. I'm not sure if he even does any baseball coaches, but it, it, it really doesn't matter. Coaching is coaching. 
And I noticed more and more frequently I was seeing his posts, liking them, because whatever he was posting was were things that I believe in. So I became more and more interested. Then I thought to myself, well, you know, as all I know is a coach's diary and these posts. I don't know anything else. I don't know the man behind this. So I said, let me dig a little deeper and see if I can get in touch with him and talk to him about possibly coming on the show. And I got to tell you, Dave, I'm really happy that I did because, I mean, I, th- I think the people are going to love this interview. He, from what I, what I spoke to him about, he is spot on with everything. And, and it, it, it uh, was one of those things where, you know, I really didn't know what, I, what to expect, but I was very impressed and I'm looking forward to a really good show with him. Great. So without further ado, let's get on with Reggie Bibb. Hey, Reggie, thanks for coming on with us today. Really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Hey, Reggie, thanks for coming. I love the stuff that you put out on on Facebook. I mean, I'm sure that you've probably seen. I've shared it a million times. I've liked it a million times. I really like the the message that you're sending. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad it's resonating with some people. So give us a a little bit of background on how you came up with the coach's diary. What was kind of the main force in driving you to to want to do that? To be honest with you, just a lifelong athlete, lifelong coach, and and more importantly, a lifelong learner. I'm going to clinics and camps and trying to learn so I can grow as a young coach. And I didn't have anywhere to store my notes. So I was looking for somewhere to store my notes. That's why it's called a coach's diary. It was really literally just my diary on a blog spot years ago. And then something prompted me. I don't even know what prompted me to start posting it on Facebook, but it started off as just a place for me to collect my notes and my thoughts on coaching, just personal notes, personal thoughts. And then it started to kind of slowly grow a following. And then just being in the coaching space, I just saw that, you know, we were going in a direction in in new sports that I didn't necessarily love. And I wanted to try to put out positive messages about coaching. So it evolved from just my notes, my coaching thoughts, I mean, my coaching notes into how can I put out positive messaging in the world about sports that can inspire and motivate coaches, parents and athletes. And it's just kind of grown organically from there. So where where do you get a lot of your content from? Because, I mean, I, I, I see that you have all different coaches. I mean, is it just from doing research and just looking around on the Internet and finding stuff? Pretty much. Yes. I'm in education. And so just a part I think about being in education is being a lifelong learner and always trying to, to learn and grow and, and improve myself. I always say, if I want my athletes to improve and grow, I need to learn and grow always. And so I'm always reading books. I'm always listening to good podcasts or, or just watching sports in general. And then when you're observant in that, things just start coming to you. So I might be watching a, a game and somebody will say a really good quote that I like. And I'll just type it up and, and, and share that and put that out there into the space. But then to be honest with you, also a big part of it is just being a dad and I'm watching my kids play. And to be honest with you too, um, not happy with my kids' performance. And so instead of getting onto my kids all the time, I just type notes in my phone of just my thoughts of, if you want to be great, you have to touch the line or you need to make sure that you're not cutting corners. Instead of being that overbearing dad and, and always preaching to my kids, I feel like that message everybody can hear. So some of it is just uh, an outlet for me to not continue to, 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 to get onto my kids 
but to put a positive message into the world of, man, if you really want to do something, there are certain choices that you have to make. So again, it's, it's just being a lifelong learner, books, podcasts, watching sports on TV, and then just the experiences that I have every day as a parent and as a coach. I love that because it's it's one of the things we do talk about on here also is is walking that fine line between just being the coach and being the dad and having to find that middle ground. And there's there's the things that our kids, our own kids do that drive us crazy. There's things that we love that they do and we want to run out and lift them up in the air and hug them. And they're like, well, as the coach, I can't really do that with just my my kid either. Um, so, you know, and, and then and then I guess I'm sure you've, you've run into this, too, is also then having to kind of explain that to the kids of like, you know, I, I, I can't single you out. I'm not going to single you out for be, when you do really bad, but I can't really single you out when you do great either. Cause then you get into the whole daddy ball thing. And, and, you know, even, even if your kid is the best kid on the team, it just doesn't, it just doesn't come across well. Man, I've had to manage that though. Uh, so, you know, being the coach of my kids, you have to be tough on your kids because you don't want to single your kids out. But my oldest daughter, she told me one day, she said, Daddy, how come you always celebrate everybody else? But when I do something good, you don't celebrate me. And so I had to make sure that I'm intentional on when she does something really well, I'm going to celebrate it. But I'm also very open in my communication. All my kids know that that is my daughter. You know what I mean? Like there's no we don't beat around that bush. It's not an elephant in the room. That's my daughter. I love my daughter. I'm hard on my daughter. I don't be tough on y'all as well. I'm going to hold everybody accountable. But when my daughter does something well, I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to celebrate everybody else. So really just trying to model and teach her and treat her like I do everybody else is is very important to me. Right. Well, being consistent as a coach is probably right up there with uh, priorities, you know, just as long as you're consistent. And I, I, I can speak from when I did coach my son, he said, we had such a good time. That's all it was about. It was a lot of fun. And I said, okay, that was it. I did my job. You know, he doesn't hold any grudge or anything that I, that I was too tough on him or, or something like that. I love that. Man, my, my daughter told me, my oldest daughter, you know, we asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, well, I want to play professional basketball, professional soccer. But she said, when I'm done playing professional sports, I want to have one son and I want to coach his AAU basketball team. And I mean, it just made my heart smile. It's like, oh, she yeah. wants to model. And, and I do this because my dad coached me. And then she wants to do that for her kids. She's already thinking ahead. So I love it, man. I, I love coaching my kids. That's great. That's great. Yeah. One of the greatest things, most frustrating, but also greatest reward, obviously, is seeing your own kids develop. My father coached me. I, I wrestled and I played baseball. My father was not a big sports guy, but he was a big, he was willing to put time in. He just, I, I don't want to say not effort. It just was kind of misplaced. Like he just didn't know yeah. about stuff. And it wasn't like it is now where you could go online and watch a thousand videos and learn all, learn all that stuff, you know, which, which I'm, you know, Jimmy and I we're, we're still doing. And it sounds like you, you still do the same thing, right. Right. Never think, you know, at all. So, you know, I, I had, I had a coach, but I didn't, I don't know. I had more of a uh, chaperone than, than, than coaches. It seems like with some of the, some of the sports things that I had, so that's where when when my kids first started playing, I didn't coach him the first year that he played, even though I played baseball at a, at a decently high level. I didn't coach him because I didn't feel like I knew enough to coach. Mm -hmm. And then I saw what his coach was doing. And I'm like, well, I 
know more than this guy. So, <laughs> so you know, it was his second year was when I, I jumped in and, and was a as assistant coach and then eventually moved up to kind of taking over some of the teams and, and whatnot. But I, I've done both throughout his career where I, I was his coach and I wasn't his coach. I was just a dad at some times. And, and that's another thing we talk about is that balance too of, of where you're just dad in the stands and, and you don't want to be the guy that as a coach, you don't want to have to deal with, right? You know, the, the, the dad in the stands is screaming at, <laughs> at the kids and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was not much of a, of a yeller to begin with, so it wasn't that big of a stretch, but, um, but that's another thing we got to balance out, right? You, I assume you, you, your kids on teams that you're not a coach also. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I've coached my kids literally in every sport, but I don't continue to coach them in every sport. I'm the same way. Like I didn't, to be honest with you, when my kids first started playing sports, I didn't want to be their coach. I just wanted to be dad. And like you said, you, you know, the kids start playing soccer when they're two and three years old down here in Texas. You know, it's YMCA soccer. You know, you practice for 15 minutes and you play for 15 minutes. But I didn't want to coach. But then you realize, man, I can I can coach. <laughs> and then <laughs> right. I know that if I'm out there with my kids, they're going to get everything that they need. I'm going to show them the instruction. We're going to have some fun and I'm going to hold them accountable. Um, but as they get older, um, especially like in soccer, my specialty is basketball. As they get older and they start entering the, the select world, I'm not a select soccer coach. And so we find the, the best coaches that we can find. And then it's mm-hmm. I'm on the other side of it. I'm on the sideline just watching. And yet it is a balance that I've had to find for myself and my wife as well, because she's a she's very competitive, too. I mean, so my kids, they get it from both ends. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, really it just comes down to for us is I always talk to my kids about what are your goals in this? Like, what do you want to get out of this? You just want to have fun. Or do you want to be really, really good? Or do you want to be the best? And and my job is just to support y'all in whatever that is. And all three of my kids are very different. And so my kids, they, they say they want to be really, really good. And they want to play travel sports and everything that comes along with it. I'll be, I'm honest with them. I don't have a lot of money. I'm in education. And so if we're going to do this and you say that you want to be really good, there are certain things that you have to do every day. You have to work hard. You have to compete. You have to do it with a smile on your face. You have to be a good teammate. And those are the things I'm going to hold you accountable to while still trying to just be dad and loving and, that, and having that grace. But there's definitely, definitely a balance that we, we're, we're always trying to figure out how to, how to better balance everything, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah definitely does. What I want to go into is I was reading, I guess it was on, on one of your blogs, mm-hmm. that you talked about building a championship culture through circles. Yes. And when I read this, I just thought that, it was it was brilliant. It was great. You talked a little bit about uh, being a transformational coach through these circles, which is getting to know your players better. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Let us let us peek into that circle routine. I loved it. It is the most impactful thing that I've learned in education, in teaching, and in coaching. Um, there's this thing that we do in our school district. We call them restorative practices. It actually got its start in the in the uh, in the prison system. But the whole idea of it is, is, as a principal, when a kid comes to my office, what tools do I have to send that kid back into the classroom and, and be a better student? So it's not just being a disciplinarian, but it's teaching behavior through relationships. And so what we've done is there's a couple of different tools in restorative practices, the main tool being circles. Um, and it's a relationship building tool. And so what I do with my teams all the time is we start practicing. We literally get into a circle and I ask them a question. The question can be very simple as, you know, these last couple of weeks has been, 
what do you want for Christmas? And we pass the basketball around and everybody gets opportunity to say, hey, I want to I want a PS5 for Christmas or I want money for Christmas or what it's a New Year's resolution that you have. And then we get more in depth into, you know, what's your biggest struggle right now in sports or what's one thing that you you need to work on or what's one thing that you need to improve. And what this does is it brings us together because it's bigger than just basketball. We're starting to learn more and more about each other, what motivates us, what inspires us, what encourages us, what our biggest barriers are. And so now me as a coach, I know my kids so much better than just the X's and O's or the skills. I know what drives them. I know what their fears are. And then most importantly, their teammates know those things. And so anytime I have a new group or a new kid come into our team, we get into a circle and we always ask the same questions. What's your name? What school do you go to? What grade are you in? And that just kind of brings them into that circle. And now they're instantly more connected. They feel like they're a part of our team. And whenever we have a situation where we're just not gelling, we're not communicating enough. I feel like our energy is down. I get our team in a circle and I just ask a simple question. It could be, what's your favorite color? What TV show are you watching right now? Um, And it's magical when you get kids in a circle, you get people in a circle, you ask them a question and you give everybody an opportunity to share. It's the number one thing that drives the cultures that of the teams that I lead. So I love that. The thing that I imagine about that is when you first started, probably difficult. Am I wrong? The kids are a little timid. They're they're a little apprehensive about giving answers. So very much so. Am I am I correct in assuming that as time goes by, first of all, like maybe in the beginning, you might do it like every couple of days or so to get them acclimated, but then you might not have to do it as often. Is that what you're is that what you're finding out? So kind of what we do is is I start off doing it once a week. Um, like we do this with our teachers also in our school district. You know, we ask, you know, once a week, just get into a five, 10 minute circle. Um, the first three or four times, it's always the same. It's the same response. Like the kids kind of are passing. They don't want to talk. They don't want to open up because it's a different process. But I tell every coach, if you do it three or four times, you'll be surprised at how kids will really start opening up and then they'll start really start enjoying it. And then they start to look forward to it. And so yesterday we had some new girls at our basketball practice. And at the end of practice, we get into a circle and my two youngest daughters are there. The second they see us get into the circle, they immediately run from the stands and run on the court because they want to be a part of our circle. Um, So it's something that grows over time. And it's it's especially more difficult with the older guys because we don't generally get in a circle and talk about our feelings. But the more that we do it, then you realize it really is a safe space for us to communicate. The the, the responses get funnier and funnier. Then they get deeper and deeper. Um, And then next thing you know, man, you're knowing more about your, your teammates than you've ever known before. But it's definitely a process. That, that grows and deepens over time. It takes some time. As, even as a coach, it takes some time and some practice to really get good at facilitating those circles. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of it. Something I haven't read up on, I haven't seen, going to take a, a very deep dive into that now because one of the things that you mentioned, and we've had a couple of guests on recently that have talked about this type of thing, is as coaches, we forget about sometimes we're so focused on the sport that we're doing and, you know, the next, the next practice or the next game or whatnot. And we lose track of the individuals on the team. We're always talking about promoting the team, promoting the team, but we do lose track of the individuals sometimes and not, you know, it's all about safe space. 
And for some of these kids, this might be this hour and a half or two hours, whatever we have with them might be the safest place that they have in their entire day. And, and to, to give them an opportunity to talk about themselves, even if it's for 30 seconds or whatnot, might, might make a huge difference. And if they build up that trust with you as an adult, as a, as a coach, as a leader, that could help them with so many other aspects uh, in life that they're going with and, and help them open up to you about other things. If there is something going on in their, in their home life or their home situation or whatever, uh, I, I think that could be huge. It is. And it's, the best part about it is a systematic way of doing so. Like we, we say, let's build relationships with our kids. Let's build relationships with our athletes. But what does that really look like? And this is just a system and a process through which you can do it. And it's easy. It's simple. But like you said, it's, it's meaningful and it gives kids an opportunity to speak and, and to open up and to, and to let things out. And then, you know, like you said too, it's, we, we promote the team, but this is a, a systematic way of getting to know the individual. And it's like I said, it's been one of the most impactful things that I've learned as a coach. Yeah, because I know we look at it and I I'm a JV coach. So Jimmy and I are, are coaching at the same age levels and the same type of frustrations where the kids don't seem to be they don't have just the general knowledge of the game as what we did when we were that age. Like it's right. it's just there's, there's a lot lacking in their prep of getting up into the, the high school range. And we're always thinking there's infinite things for us to to go over and practice. Right. So, and we only have whatever it is again, you know, we have two hours and out of that two hours, we got to do our warm up, We got to do our cool down. We have to, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, all right. And we have to drill this, 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 and this. Well, if we took five minutes less of doing ground balls, is that really going to have a negative impact on their play as opposed to how much of a positive impact doing something like this, this mental work, how much of a positive impact could that have on their life? You know, like, and, we lose, we lose track of that stuff, man. You're, you're going to have to do it because if you don't do it at some point, your team is going to blow up internally in some way to where you're going to have to address the mental things anyways. So this is a way to just do it proactively. And then too, I understand like the concept of time. Like we need, we don't have enough time to do what we do anyways, but anytime a coach comes to me and they say, man, our kids are just not communicating enough or we're having internal issues in the locker room or you know, we're concerned about playing time or anything else. I say, well, if you circle up a little bit more regularly, it's not the end all be all. It's not this magic wand that's going to eliminate all your problems, but it will help. It will help in, be, in being proactive in this way, in my experience, really helps eliminate a lot of cultural issues that we have. And it just helps you create a better, stronger culture so that when you are feeling those ground balls, the kids are a little bit more engaged. They understand more. Why are we doing this? And they'll never want to do it more for you as a coach because they know that you care because, you know, the, the old saying goes, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And this is a systematic way for me to show my athletes I care about you. So now I need you to get out there and feel those ground balls better. And, you know, so it's been it's a it is time. It does take some time. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. But in my experience and the coaches that I've been working with and doing so, um, it's been beneficial. It's been worth the time. Yeah, the whole the whole idea is to create that trust that your players trust you. You probably haven't listened to the end of this show, but that's the way I close the show is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, because that 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 is so true that if you can gain their trust by by letting them know 
how much you really care about them as an individual, as a person, they'll run through brick walls for you if they trust you. That's huge. So the more time you can spend on doing circles and Dave and I talk all the time about the mental approach and working on them mentally that it's okay to fail, how to give a hundred percent and all of that type of stuff. That's really what it's all about. And then if you fit in the ground balls and the fly balls and the hitting and, you know, the pitching and stuff, they're going to get better. But I believe that if they get, if they get better mentally, that is more important than their actual physical things because their physical things they can work on on their own if they choose to. Now that's that that's a different story whether they choose to or not. But you can give them simple drills and say, "Hey guys, listen, spend 15 minutes a day, half hour a day working on this Saturday other thing when you're home, you know, after your homework is done and all of that stuff, work on these things. You can do that. The mental side, no, you have to be present for that." Right. And then I know on the girl side, especially like I, when I talk, I always ask my parents, what do you want your kid to get out of this season of this experience? And what's something that you think that they need to get better at? So I open up anytime somebody new comes to my team, I ask them those first two questions because I want to make sure that we're on the same page and we're aligned in our goals and our mindset. And then a lot, most of the time, my parents, my female athlete parents, they'll say, you know, I don't want my kid to feel like to be afraid to make mistakes. And I think that's so important from the mental side of it. And that's part of the circle process, too. We talk about it. it is OK to make mistakes like it's part of it, because like you said, we're going to get the skill work Like we're going to drill and skill all of those things. And if you want to be great, you're going to put the time in on the back end on your own. But what I need to make sure is I need to make sure that you, you you're in the mental space to know that it's OK for me to work hard and make mistakes and learn from them and grow from them, because the mental part is, you know, the mental part is everything in sports. Absolutely. And. I was actually going to run right into what you just touched on a little bit about what do you expect from this experience to parents? What do you want your athlete to be? What is really important? There are, there are a bunch of things that I took from one of your blogs that were great questions to ask a parent. Mm -hmm. Do you want them to be more or less confident, happier, less happy, more stable, more fragile? I, I can keep going more humble, bigger ego. And at least you're setting the tone. For going back to those those few examples, the answers are obvious, really, they are. But again, once everybody understands that, okay, I can help you with these things. This is what, what we're going to work through. It's going to make your job a lot easier. 100%. I mean, and, and they're obvious, but we we forget about them. I forget about them. And I write the blogs. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I want my kids, my kids say they want to play Division One sports. And as a dad, I, I love for my kids to play Division One sports. And if I'm not aware of what I really want them to get out of it from a character standpoint, I'll allow that performance thing to, to, to drive everything. And, and I don't know if they're going to get the character part of it. And so I have to make for sure that I lead with the character piece more than anything, because at some point my kids are going to be 38 year old mothers of kids. And I want them to be stable and happy and hopeful. And, and I want to make sure that what I do as a dad is helping put them in that position because they're not going to play sports forever. And so what kind of a person am I creating in that process? And the same for all of my athletes, what kind of athletes, you know, you know, our, as, us as coaches, we become the inner voice of these athletes. I still remember all the things that my coaches put into me when I was, when I was growing up. And so I want my kids, I think about what do I want my athletes to be like when they're 38 years old, confident, hopeful, um, engaged and present in their kids' lives, hardworking, able to deal with adversity. 
And so everything that I do and I preach and I say to my athletes, I'm doing that with those thoughts and those words in mind. So I think the character piece is, I'm, a, I'm really big on this guy, Brett Ledbetter. He has a, um, a, a platform called What Drives Winning. And he's, he's amazing. Like he's, he's been a, a great help for me and, and help clear up my message of what I want to be as a father and as a coach. And he always say the character drives the process and the process drives the results. So often we're looking at the results of things, but how do we get to become a division one athlete? Well, the process has to be right. We have to work hard. We have to do things the right way. Well, what drives that? It's our character. Our character drives everything. If I'm a hard worker, it's because I have a hardworking character. If I'm a great teammate, it's because that character is there. So if we can get the character piece right, then the process will work out itself. And then the results will be the results. And then you also have to look at it like a lot of times athletes, they they know what they have to do. They know what the process is. Mm-hmm. But do they have the drive to actually do it? So that's one of the things that I was talking about when I say take these things home and do them at home. Well, your better athletes, yes, they'll go home and they'll take dry swings in front of a mirror because right. they know it's going to make them better where there are some athletes that will know that they should be taking dry swings in front of the mirror, but maybe playing Xbox tonight is a little bit more important. So that's something. And again, we we have to try and push that to make them understand what it is. But a lot of it comes from inside the athlete themselves. Do they want this bad enough to do it? Man. So can I ask y'all a question? That's something I deal with. Right. And I'm trying to, internally managed so you know what it takes to be greater you have an athlete who has all the tools in the world to be a a big time athlete but they just don't put in the work like how do y'all mentally manage that because i know as as, especially as a younger coach it would drive me crazy i'd lose sleep over it so how do y'all manage that so and it's 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 tough a lot of times again at the age that we get the kids because a lot of these kids were coddled you know if if again thinking from a baseball standpoint if you have a decent swing and are in decent athletic shape, you're going to hit home runs as a 12 year old with, you know, a 200 foot fence and the, the materials that the bats are made out of nowadays and stuff. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So, so, and these, some of these kids are taught that these, I'm just using this as one, one example, obviously there's a million different examples, but you know, these balls that next year when they move up to the full field, it's a lazy fly ball, but right now it's, Oh, it's a home. My kid hit 15 home runs and my kid, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, that's one of the biggest issues that we have is, and it might be a kid, you know, you think of more like the stereotypical kids, a little heavy. So he's got a little bit more uh, momentum as a swing comes through because he, you know, he, he's able to just, just get the bat on the ball and that ball is going to go. That's, that's one of the toughest things. And that's where Jimmy and I are getting these kids is as they're making that transition from the little field to the big field. And that's one of the toughest things. So how do you do that is, is to some degree, it's, it's a matter of almost making them to me, one of the things that it's just a natural occurrence is they're going to fail because they're going to hit that ball and they're going to be able they're going to think that they can sort of stand there and watch it go. And all of a sudden realize left fielder just ran in 20 steps and, and caught the ball and they're like, oh, geez. So, and it's maybe showing them some of the stats and things like that. Like, okay, here's what you're doing. Yes, you're making contact, but here's what the results are. The results are it's 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 non-productive. It's it's allowing them to fail 
and it might sound a little backwards as a coach because we're always teaching to not fail, but allow them to fail and then help them work through that and letting them know that, hey, the two hours that you're here and out of that two hours, you're only really participating for an hour because the other time your teammates are doing stuff. You know, you're, you're not catching fly ball, fly ball, fly ball. You're not taking batting practice, but, you know, you're batting practice and then you're so, you know, out of that time, that can't be it. That can't be your, your sole participation in this. You have to be doing things on your own and it doesn't have to be five hours a day. It could be 10 minutes, you know, something like that. There's no way you can tell me you don't have 10 minutes that you can on, on any given day. Yes. One particular day, maybe, maybe you don't, but three days a week, you can find 10, 15 minutes right. to work on this stuff. So I don't know. That's, that's one of the things that, that I, I do, but I, I think they have to fail first. A lot of the kids, they have to fail first. Otherwise they think, yeah, I'm doing good. Man, you know, it I, I, I love think the, 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 the best advice I, I can give you as far as what Dave just said about failing is, and you may want to write this down, look up Sue Enquist. She was the, are you familiar with her? Oh yeah. UCLA basketball, uh, softball coach. Listen yeah. to, listen to what she, the way she handled her team with regards to failure. And it's something that I've adopted with my players. And I just think it's brilliant. The other thing too, that I wanted to say, as far as, like you said, you have a gifted athlete. How do you make him understand that he needs to do this work on his own? Well, that's something that you're going to have to, you know, again, just hammer it home, drill, you know, drill it into him. Failure is a big part of it, but that's something that I feel that at, my level, because again, I only get the kids for one year. Dave's the same way. We only get them for one year. You may not see that result until a couple of years later. So the idea is to hammer it home, make sure that they understand. And I'll be quite, quite frank with you. I tell my players right off the bat, I know this may sound a little cruel, but I always tell them, I say, I really don't care whether you do it or not. Yeah. I really don't. I'm not the one that's trying to, to climb that ladder. I do what I need to do as a coach because I'm still trying to climb that ladder. So I study, I work, I do everything that I need to do. But you need to do that also. And if you don't do it, that's fine too. But that's pretty much the way I hammer it home. Man, I'm so glad to hear both of y'all say those things. As I get older, I realize more and more that I can't control the success or the work ethic of my athletes and like you said i have to be okay with knowing you know the whole john wooden quote success is peace of mind and satisfaction knowing that you did the best that you could and i tell my yes. athletes the same thing like i can't make you do this i'm gonna give you all the keys all the tools and i'm gonna give you everything that i have but at the end of the day you have to walk through that door at the end of the day you have to chop that wood at the end of the day you have to do that those 10 minutes a day and i've had to learn how to not take their lack of doing those things personally and understand right. that there's a reason why only 2% play division one sports is because only 2% of them are either bigger, stronger, faster enough, or are able to overcome that by doing the things every day that are necessary to be successful. And yeah. that's been the biggest learning curve for me. I've coached every level from, from two-year-old soccer to college athletes. And now I'm going through this journey with a group of, of, of young female basketball players in the sixth grade. And I start to see, you know, the characteristics of kids who will touch that line every single time, who are putting in the work every single day when we're when, when we're not practicing. And then the kids who aren't and trying to 
figure out how to manage that internally and saying, hey, what am I not doing to get these kids to really buy in fully? And But then also understanding that some of these kids are just going to be the, the kids are in high school that just don't put the 10 minutes in every day. And that's just a part of it. And I got to be OK with that. Billy Donovan said something very powerful, too, that kind of goes along with Jimmy. What you said is we often plant seeds that we don't ever see bloom. But that's it's right. still my job to plant the seeds, to, to water the soil and knowing that we might not get to see the fruits of our labor, but we're just doing our part at our time with these athletes, with these people. Yes. Yes. And one, one other thing I'll just throw in there as far as their work ethic and, and how to kind of prod them to understand that they need to work harder than what you're doing in practice. One of the very first things that I will say to teams in the very beginning of the year is something very simple. I'll say, I really don't care who goes out on that field, who my nine guys are. I really don't care. So if you want to be, I'm an observer. That's that's what I do as a coach. I'm here. I teach you stuff. And then I watch what you do with it. I'm observing what you do. If you do the right thing with it, I see that you're growing. Well, then, yes, I'm going to reward all of that hard work and everything you're doing. But if you're going to give me, I think Dave said this in our last episode, <clears throat> if you're going to give me 70%, I see that. And I really don't care whether you play or not. I'm going to put the guys that are working hard out on that field and they're going to get rewarded. So it's a harsh reality at a young age because these kids are 15, 16 years old. But let's face it. You want to climb that ladder. Like you said, you want to play. I don't even care if it's division three. You want to play division three college baseball. You better get that work ethic. Yeah, I play junior college basketball, man. It's it's hard. It's hard getting a yeah. scholarship in any level. Um, and so, yeah, you have to put in that work. I tell our girls the same thing first day of practice. I'm going to teach you a lot of different things and you're going to have to go home and work on these things. And what we're going to see in a few weeks is you're going to see some people take this stuff and they use it. And they go home and practice it and some don't. And it's going to be very obvious in three weeks and in six months who are doing the things that are necessary to be successful. I don't want you to be that person who looks up and says, man, I didn't do what Coach Reggie told me to do. I want you to be the person that says, I did it, I tried it, I failed, I kept going, I overcame failure, and now you're able to do the Euro step. You're able to finish with your left hand. You're able to finish all the basic things that we told you, so now when you're in middle school and high school, you're a complete, well-rounded athlete. But it, it takes doing the small things every day over and over again, overcoming failure, understanding that adversity is a part of the process, and just keep going and keep doing it. And you'll look up when you're at, they're at your age, they're 15, 16 years old, then, then they have all the tools that they can to take that next step to go to the next level. Exactly. And one, yeah, one of the other things that, that I like to, and I'm like, I'm all effort and attitude. It's, it's my kind of catchphrase is, is it's the only two things that we can control is our, is our own effort and our own attitude. And it's one of the things where I think we have to define what success means. You know, we talk about that all the time. What is success what does a successful season mean okay now again jim and i we're at the jv level going undefeated does not give us a successful season because there's nothing beyond that there's no sectionals to go there's no seed there's no sectionals anything like that right and the younger you go obviously to me the more important this is and the more lost this has become over the years from what i've seen when my kids were playing travel ball especially teams that i wasn't a coach on where a successful season was getting that trinket, getting that trophy or, or the ribbon or, or whatever. And I'm like, well, no, to me, a successful season is seeing how much better did the worst player on the team get during the year? And if he didn't get any better, 
because he wasn't getting the playing time and he wasn't getting the attention, then that's not a successful season. I don't care if they won this tournament out in, you know, East Jerkwood or, you know, whatever, you know, who, who, yeah, it feels great in the moment, but in the grand scheme of things, you've now, that kid is less interested in playing next year. You know, it's one of the things Jimmy, Jimmy has talked about is success is getting, if your whole team wanted to come back the next year, that would be, tremendously successful because that doesn't that just doesn't happen anymore um in baseball at least baseball numbers have been shrinking through the years and 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 again we talk about different sports but we're both primarily baseball focused you know it's been shrinking um more kids going to other sports or not playing sports at all e-sports which i don't like to call sport but you know this (laughs) is this is the world we live in these days right so um you know it's that's something is is how do you really define success and then you can build towards that because if if you don't define what a successful season is, both as an individual and as a team, then you don't have a, you really don't have a good direction, and you don't have a way to judge at the end of the year how, how good of a job you did. That's like we do that in our circle. Like that's part of our circle process is defining what success looks like for you as an individual and for us as a group. And I'm really big with our parents, our sixth grade basketball players. I said we can go trophy chase all we want to but it really doesn't matter. One of my best friends, my college roommate, his son is a high, high level uh, college basketball player. And he'll tell me, he said, Reggie, respectfully, nobody cares about fifth and sixth grade girls basketball. Nobody cares if you won that trophy. Nobody so knows true. except for the people in that gym. The only thing that matters is your kids having fun and are they getting better? Because the second they stop getting better, they're not going to be on the top team anymore. And so for us, success is, is are you continuing to get better? Now, of course, these tournaments are a great way to measure whether or not we're getting better because we're playing in competition, we're competing against each other. But it's really not the trophy. It's about, okay, are we getting better? And then are we having enough fun so that we can continue to work hard? Because you have to have fun because we're not having fun. Why are we doing it? You know, so there's got to be some kind of level of enjoyment. But at the end of the day, man, are we getting better? And I love what you said about how we define success. Um, Can I ask y'all, how do y'all do that process? Like, so how do y'all do y'all ask your athletes what does success look like? Is that like a team building activity? Do y'all just give them and say, this is what success is? Like, how do you help your athletes define what success is? Well, I, I mean, I can say that one of the things that you guys just t- touched on with what Dave said and what you just said is that a lot of times we'll go out, we'll play a game and we'll lose the game. But the game was a success in my mind. So the way I let my players know is after that game, I sit them down and I tell them, I'm proud of you guys. And they sometimes they look at me like I'm nuts, like, you know, coach, we just lost. I don't care. We executed this correctly. We did this correctly. There were so many positives to take from that. You guys are getting better. So knowing that a success is not necessarily a win. It doesn't doesn't that's not what we're doing. Like you said, we're trying to make them better. So if if they execute a play correctly, but it didn't have an impact on the game, let's say, but they did it correctly. To me, that's a win. They need to know that they need to know that, hey, we did it right. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Don't worry. The wins will come from that. That's my feeling. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so it's a combination of asking them what they think success is and then letting them know what you think success is and hopefully getting them on the same page as you 
you know, and, and there's things I've, we've, I've changed a little bit through the, certainly through the years, because I'm always looking to, to grow and add on, like I said, never feel like I know everything, not, and, and things change. Even if I did know everything today, by tomorrow, I don't anymore because something <laughs> else is, has changed. Right. So, um, so yeah, so finding out, you know, getting them on board with what your program is. And it's one of those things, you know, with school ball, it's different because they don't have a lot of other options. If they're going to play school ball, they, if they live in the district, they're going to, they're going to play there. We do have, you know, uh, like Catholic schools or, you know, private schools that we have to compete with, but in terms of general, but when you're talking about travel teams, obviously there's a gazillion teams they could go to. So if they're not on the same page as you, you might lose your better player, but it's a little bit of addition by subtraction because if they're not on board with what you want to do, and, and really it boils down to the parents when you're getting into those ages, probably, especially probably under 14 and under somewhere around there, it's more about the parents than, than, than a kid. Um, once they get up to 15, 16, then, then it's, it's the kid is probably more the driving thing. If he wanted to stay on the team, the parent would probably keep them on the team type of thing. When they're younger, the parents still thinks they know better sometimes and i've we've seen it i've seen kids in a single season be on three different travel teams because oh this coach was doing this and it wasn't it wasn't anything horrible you know it was it was just again either oh i'm not getting the playing time that my or my kids not getting the playing time is to get blah 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 what you know whatever the situation is but if you can get them on board early then that makes everything so much smoother in, in terms of being able to reach out. So you're getting them engaged with those types of, I, I love that circle activity. It's something I'm going to bring to, uh, I want to bring to our team. I, I never, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about doing things like that, but we've never really done it and, and made it a regular part of, of our uh, curriculum. Yeah. So, yeah, I know I'm kind of, I get off on my tangents here, but. Can I ask all this? Do y'all deal with a Charles level or do y'all deal with a lot of parent issues? Um, no. And my feeling with parents, whether it be my travel, my, or my high school team is brutal. Honesty is the best way to handle it. Okay. So I will meet with my parents and I will tell them exactly what my culture is. This is what we expect. These are the expectations. And basically what it comes down to is, and I, 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 it's not like this is my thought. I, I got a lot of this from Mike Matheny from his Matheny manifesto is all I need you to do is clap. That's it. Encourage the boys, cheer them on. And that's it. I believe that with parents, you have to be brutally honest. You have to be stern and just let them know what's going to be allowed and what's not. And then I think it goes away. The other thing, too, is that with parents, when parents come to you with a problem regarding playing time, position that the kids being, you know, position on the field, position in the batting order. If they come to anything like anything like that with to you, I will have the conversation, but I will know why that kid is doing whatever. And I will tell them. And the other thing I do also is I want the player there when the parent talks to me. I don't want to talk to the parent one-on-one -on -one because this involves the player. Let's work it out and make sure that he understands why we're doing it. I don't know. Does it, does, did that help you at all? Oh, I love that, man. I, I, I love having parent conversations. I mean, because I want us to be on the same page. We say we're, I say we're, we're raising these kids together. Like it's, it's not me being separate from you. 
Like we, as a parent, we only get one chance to go through this journey as well. And I want to go through it and be happy and hopeful at the end of this journey also. And so the only way I can do that as a coach is to, to know, like, what are your thoughts? What are your expectations are? And if you have an issue with playing time, let's let's talk about it so I can be clear and saying, hey, these are the things that I see from your athlete. If they can do X, Y, Z, we can get them on the, on the court more. Now, also knowing that they have to do X, Y, Z better than the next person, um, because that's a part of it as well. But if we don't have that conversation and they're just stewing in the background and upset, let's at least talk about it and let's get it out. And, you know, sometimes, honestly, I don't know everything as a coach. I might be missing some things. That parent has seen their kid and raised their kid and seen their kid play in a lot of different environments throughout their entire career. And sometimes I just didn't realize that now this kid might be a little bit better in this situation um, than what I than what I know. Um, and so just being open and honest and having those conversations. And like you said, just being brutally honest with facts. And and these are the results. These are the stats. And, you know, I had a, parent, a conversation with a parent when I was coaching in high school. Why is my kid not playing varsity basketball? Like, man, I love your kid. Your kid is a very hard worker, but your kid doesn't handle the ball great with their left hand under pressure. Your kid doesn't do a great job of pressuring people and keeping people in front of them. And when they get pressured, they don't make shots. Dad was like, you know what? I've been telling my kid that for the same thing for the last three years to work on those three things. Man, thank you. So, you know, I, I want your kid to be successful. Let's figure out how we can work on these three things so they can get more playing time because I want them to play. Love that. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, we I've had with with my teams, not I, I want I, I haven't had a lot of issues. I've seen I've seen a lot worse on teams where I was just a dad and how the parents were chirping in the in the stands and whatnot. And again, I've told the story a bunch of times on the show. But from the time my son, my oldest son, who's now 22, I think when he was 11, was the last time that I could sit in the stands with the other parents mm. where I, I just, my head would be ready to explode because of all of the chirping, all of the sideline coaching that was going on. And two things, a, it would make me frustrated listening to it. Cause I, listen, I know a lot about the sport and I would disagree with a lot of the things that, that they were saying just from a technical aspect and then there's disagreeing with their whole approach of the thing of, of shouting out and whatnot. And, and I didn't want to be, you know, the coach looks over and sees five of us sitting together. He doesn't necessarily know who's who. And I'm, I'm not going to be part of that, you know? Um, so that's where from the time, some point, I think when he was 11, if I wasn't one of the coaches and it was a team that, and, and he played, you know, he was, he was good. He, he played on some good travel teams and stuff like that um, in school teams. I was out on the fence, you know, out on the, the right field fence, left field fence, whatever, because I, I couldn't be near the, the parents anymore. From a coaching standpoint, um, it's one or two players a year. It seems like we have an issue with one of the parents where, you know, my kid's not getting this opportunity or why isn't my kid? Why are you having the one year we had the, one of the moms going, I don't know why you're having my son pitch. He's not a pitcher. And like, I, I don't know if you're watching what we're doing, but he's really athletic. He's got a strong arm and he can throw strikes. So I, I don't know what you mean by he's not a pitcher because he appears to be, be pitching, you know, and there's growing pains because he had, he didn't do a lot as a, as a younger kid. Um, so there was some growing pains, but he had the potential and it was just like, just making sure that they understood that that was, again, we're looking for the best opportunity for the kid. Here's another opportunity for, he might've been the third best catcher on the team, which is not going to get you a lot of playing time in high school. You know, we're, we're not playing, 
we're not playing. It's not like a travel team where we're playing five games in a weekend, right? You know, it's, it's one game at a time. So your third best catcher is not going to get a lot of opportunity, but if we can get them in other places and that's, you know, just, so just, just that, just having those kinds of conversations with the, with the parents to make sure that they understand it's about, it's about, we feel what's best for the player in relation to what's best for the team as well. That has to stay in there. Last year, we had a situation with a parent complaining that his, his player wasn't getting, didn't have the same opportunity as other players. And we immediately said that that's, that's not true. He's at practice every day. You know, we're watching every day in practice. He has the same opportunity. He's not reaching up and putting, you know, he works hard. Everybody on the team works hard. Okay. You know, one of the biggest things a parent, one of the worst things a parent can say is my son works harder than everybody else. Really? (laughs) What are you judging? What are you judging that by? What metrics are you using to come up with that? Because especially again, at our level, parents aren't at the practices in high school. Right. You know, they're, they're not seeing it. It's not like when they're in, in, you know, uh, 10 years old and they're staying and watching the whole, the whole practices and stuff. I'm like, I'm not saying your son's not working hard, but did you know that he does this? That, and again, we want to have the player there and we'll turn to the player and say, Jimmy, why don't you tell him, why don't you tell him how things went in practice the other day? Oh, I wasn't running on and off the field. Oh, okay. So now, you know, now, you know, th- those types of things, because again, effort and attitude, you give me a hundred percent, you give me a hundred percent effort and a positive attitude. You're going to get that extra playing time, whether you're, physical skills deserve it or not. That's the way as a JV coach, again, where we're not trying for sectional seating and all that. Our whole job is to get all of these players ready for next year. Right. That's it. That's it. So they all have to play and they all have to sit because the best player in the team is probably sitting next year. So they, you know, they have to learn that too. And that's the other thing that the parent, you know, parents have to understand. So, so it, it hasn't been like a rampant problem where like we're ready to quit or anything like that, but it does seem like that we get one, maybe two instances a year. Uh, the other thing I know I'm, I'm taking a long time with this, but the other thing that we, we do is well, my, and my head coach is one of the easiest going head coaches I've ever worked with. He happens to be one of my best friends. And that's how he, he was the coach and he got me in, involved in, in helping him with, with the team. Uh, you know, and we'll just sit down with the player and he'll just say, tell me what you bring to the table. Yeah. You know, what do you, what do you feel your strongest points are? And we had a player whose, whose mom had come to us multiple times about how his, her kid wasn't getting enough playing time and just sat him down and said, tell us what you, what your biggest strengths are. All he did was list off the things that he needed to work on. Hmm. Like, okay, well, that's pretty much the answer right there. If you can't tell me what your biggest strength is, you know, how, how can you say that you're not getting the opportunity and you're not getting what you should be getting? Yeah. The, the educator in me loves all of that because we are teachers as coaches and then a lot of times we're teaching them how to understand why they are or are not playing. We're teaching parents how to understand why their kids are or are not playing because we want every kid to be successful. David, I love what you said about, I want your kid to find success individually in the concept of the team. I mean, that's my number one goal is I know every parent, they show up because they want to see their baby play and they want to see their baby be successful. And so I'm very intentional and purposeful to say, I want all of y'all to be successful because I know y'all's parents are here and they want to cheer y'all on. 
Um, but at the same time, being able to communicate and teach everybody, these are the things that I'm looking for as a coach so that your baby can be successful or you as an athlete can be successful individually and in this team sport. So I love that. It's it's all about expectations, whether it be from the player to parents. It's all about expectations. Yeah. We, let me just just to, to, to cap off on that. You know, we can I, I've seen this happen many times through the years with the tra- with travel ball where I'm going to say every, obviously it's not hundred percent, but it's the overwhelming majority. Every team they start off with, Hey, there's no guaranteed playing time, but I'm going to be fair. Your kid's going to get adequate time and, and, and blah, 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 blah. If your kid's not the, one of the best on team, we're going to work with them. And this is to get the people through the door, right. To get it's travel team. So they have the tryouts and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and as you said earlier, one of the first things starts off with is, the money, right? You know, these parents are paying a lot of money to be on, on some of these travel teams and every team that, that I've been involved with, not as a coach, but as just a parent, it was the same kind of spiel up front about how much, you know, we're by practicing with us, they're going to get better and blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out once you're in it, there's no, there's there's not a lot of individual work that can be done and, and there can't be. So every parent hears that spiel almost none of them realize that the coach is talking to them and their player. Right. Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah, that that's, that's for the weaker players. That's for the other players. That's not. So then you get into the situation. So it's setting expectations. You have to do it globally as a team. And then with certain circumstances, you have to do it. My opinion, you have to do it one-on-one with that player and their parent of this is really what you need to expect for this year you know, you're, you maybe, maybe not specifically say, Hey, you're the 12th person on the team out of the 12, but you're right now. I don't see you at the level of being a starter. If you do the work that needs to be done, we should be able to get you in. But I don't think, I don't think most coaches have that second conversation. They have that one general conversation. And like I said, I can tell you, cause I, I've seen it where there was a kid that did not belong on this team, but that, that organization wanted the check. And this kid did not belong at that level. And we're telling, we tell everybody, you know, playing team, playing time's not guaranteed. We'll get you in when we can. And then that kid sat and he sat and he sat and he sat. And every game that those parents were getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And I, I just, again, that's where I, I have to remove because I wasn't involved in the decision-making and whatnot. And I try to throw some things out there to him. I even pulled the kid aside. And even though I wasn't a coach, I was like, Hey, if you don't mind, I can give him a couple of tips or whatever. But it almost never works out. Almost never. Um, man, I think that's one of the most important things that we can do as coaches is have that second conversation with every single parent on our team. I try to do it informally. And that's why I ask the question, what do you want your kid to get out of the season? What does your kid need to improve on? And so that's the those are the two circle questions that I use individually with parents because I really want to know what their thoughts are so that we're all aligned. And then I encourage parents to have that conversation with their coach. Like if my if I know my kid on this team is going to get a lot of playing time and it's going to be successful, I might be able to sit back a little bit. But if I if I don't automatically know that I'm going to have a conversation with the coach and it's not like I'm trying to get you. It's we're doing this together. I don't want to be that parent on the sideline upset because my kid's not playing a lot. Just kind of let me know from a parent standpoint, what should I expect from my kid? What is my what do you think my kid needs to, to improve at the most? And then, you know, I'll make sure I'm doing my my part on my end. And that way, as a parent, I know, like, I'm not relying just on my kid to come in and tell me 
what's going on in practice, but I'm having that conversation with that coach. And I let the coach know too, like, hey, I'm on your side. Like, I'm, I'm with you on this. I just want to know kind of what's going on so that I can be aware on that sideline. So let's move forward a little bit. And obviously a lot, a lot of the things that I see that you put out there are from well-respected coaches. Some of the guys who are at the top of the coaching chain, the coaching ladder, mm-hmm. in your opinion, what's the difference between the guys that you look up to and not so good coaches? So what's the difference between good coaches and not so good coaches? What do you think? Great athletes. Uh, that's the biggest thing uh the reason why i do it that way you know first of all i think success leaves a trail right so if i can see a successful coach and kind of mimic some of the things that they're doing they're they're going to leave a trail of success but also in education we're really big on having research-based evidence right and so we all know that if you work hard and you do things the right way you spend 15 20 minutes every day doing these things over and over again it's going to lead to success over time. But, you know, a lot of times they're not going to listen to Reggie in Dallas. But if Dean Smith says it, it just adds a little bit more credibility to it. So a lot of the times it's just, you know, finding a coach that says the same thing that you've been saying over and over again. And because, you know, uh, Bill Belichick said it or Mike Matheny said it, you know, it's, it's, it, it holds a little bit more weight than because Coach Reggie said it. So I think that's a big part of it. And then, too, I mean, but to specifically answer your question, what separates a good coach from from the not so good coaches? I think it's their ability to coach the sport and the athlete and manage the levels of communications through it all. So you have to be great at developing a a championship type culture Then you have to be really good at the X's and O's part of it. And then can you develop talent? Can you develop individual talent? Because we all, everybody comes to us with a certain level of ability over the course of a season. Can I grow that ability from an individual and can I grow that team? And then can I, can I manage the, 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 the characters and the, in the culture of that, of that locker room? So I just kind of go back to it. It's, it's, am I a great X's and O's coach? Can I develop talent? Can I build a championship culture? Can I do those three things? And I think those three things, a, a coach's ability to maximize those three, those three things can allow them to maximize their success. Some coaches are great at at developing individuals, but they're not great at putting it all together. Some coaches are great at putting it all together, but their athletes don't grow individually. And some coaches, I mean, they're they're great coaches. They know what they're supposed to be doing, but the culture of that that locker room is not great. So by the halfway through the season, they're picking at each other and a team might start off 10 and 0, but, you know, by Christmas break, they're, you know, they're 10 and seven. And then, you know, they just, they end up with a 500 season because he can't manage the culture and the, and, the, and the characters in that locker room. So being a great team coach, an individual coach, and, and creating a championship culture, to me, those are the three things that, that great coaches are able to do consistently over time. So I think then what it comes down to is what we say all the time is it's not easy. It's <laughs> not at it's all. Not, <laughs> it's not easy. There's, you have to put in a lot of work. You have to learn all of the different aspects of being a coach and you have to be proficient at all of them, mm-hmm. you know, developing culture. You know, we talk about that all the time. You hear people say culture, culture, culture. But what is culture? Well, my feeling is culture is what you as a coach believe for your program or your, your team or whatever it is. So that culture can can 
can change from team to team. Obviously, your culture may not be the same as mine. It may not be the same as Dave's, but it comes down to, in my opinion, you are what you allow. Whatever you allow says a lot about you and the culture that you're trying to set. 100%. Our culture is it's what we do every day. It's how we do it. And it's why we do it. And it's not what we talk about. It's what we're actually doing. So if I follow your, if I walk into the gym or I walk into the baseball field and I listen to your, your pre-practice speech and I watch y'all practice, I mean, that's what your culture is. And I think great coaches, they know what they're able to define. This is what our culture is. And they're able to live it out every day. They're able to communicate it and you're able to see it. And it's consistent. And like you say, different coaches run, have different type of cultures. You have coaches who are, very strict, hard driving coaches, and that and they have success doing that. You also have these the player first coaches, and they have success doing that. So whatever it is that you want your culture to be, being able to clearly define it, and being able to clearly communicate it, and then cons- and seeing it consistently, consistently reinforcing it, is 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 everything. And I think the the journey of a coach is is figuring out what kind of a coach that you want to be, what kind of a culture that you want to run. The reason why the circle stuff works so well for me is I knew early on, like I, I look young now. Imagine I was 22 years old coaching college athletes. Like I'm not coming in and cursing kids out to get them to, to, to drive performance. I had to figure out how am I going to drive performance? I'm not a tall guy. I'm five foot seven, five foot eight. I'm coaching six foot eight men. So what am I going to do to drive performance? So I knew early on I had to figure out how to drive performance through relationships that's my culture. My culture is all about relationships. And so I've got to get better and better and better at building strong relationships to drive my performance. But at the same time, when I talk, to, when I call a timeout, I have to be able to drop a really good play for us to score. So I have to study the relationship piece. I have to study my X's and O's. And then when I drop that play, my athletes have to be able to perform that play. So I have to develop them as individual athletes so that they can actually perform on the court. So I have to spend time on on how to what's the best way to set screens? What are the newest moves? You know, how do I teach a kid how to shoot correctly? I mean, all of those things go into being a great coach. It's not just one part of it. I've got to be able to do all of those things. But then also that's the importance of having a team behind you, having other coaches who can help you and support you because we can't do everything. And so if I have a guy that's on my staff that's really, really great at X's and O's or he loves drawing the baseline out of balance plays, I mean, hey, find me five great based on out-of-bounds plays and you run with it. So being able to de- – knowing what your strengths are and your weaknesses are and bringing people onto your team that can that can, um, that can can help with those, I think is, is also huge. You're not going to find a great coach. I, no great coach that I post doesn't have great assistant coaches. They all have great assistant coaches. And they talk about how great their assistant coaches are. Um, and so you have to have great support around you if you want to be great. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. The guys who are at the top of their game, the most successful coaches have great assistance with them. But there was something that you said too before about relationships. The relationships that you have with your players differ from player to player. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 harder, well not harder, but it, it's it's difficult because you're going to demand a certain way from player A than you are from player B. So that's another thing that coaches need to learn is how do I get my point across, my consistent point across in different ways. Right. But 
to, to the point of having good assistance, not all of us have it. So you, you have to find ways to, to be able to get that point across by yourself for the most part. That's huge, man. That's, that's, I, I keep going back to the circles. That's why I like circles is because it's just another tool that helps me learn more about each individual athlete so that I can better communicate with them on an individual level. And then, so they also can learn more about me and my coaching style and my leadership style. And so they know, man, Coach Reggie's not just some mean guy that's just making me touch the line every time or making me set the screen this way. Coach Reggie really cares about me. And I know that because we talk. Um, and so I think, yeah, just finding different tools, like you said, and ways to reach every single person on your team, the best that you can is, is huge. But you also have to give yourself grace and knowing like everybody, I'm not friends with everybody. I don't connect with everybody. And it's okay if like I and every team I coach and every team we all coach, there's kids on there we just don't reach for whatever reason. I had coaches and I just didn't care for that coach. And that's okay. You know, I just. So giving yourself that grace also of understanding, like you're not going to connect with everybody on a personal level, but we can still coexist and, and have a, a, a solid, effective and appropriate coach and player relationship is, is, is huge. Just as long as they know you care about them, right? Yeah, man. I want you all to be successful. I want you all to be great. I, I care. I tell my kids all the time and I care about y'all just say it. I care about you. You know, if, if nothing else, if, if, if you don't know if anybody else cares about, you, you know, Coach Reggie cares about you. I might not understand everything that you got going on. We might not always agree, but just know deep down there's somebody that cares about you. Coach Reggie always cares. Every every communication, every text um, that I do with any of my players, the way I end it is, I love you, bud. Every single text, every communication. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to say, you know, I I feel like this is something we could go. We could probably talk another five hours uh, about this kind of stuff. But I I think this is a good spot for us to uh, to wrap it up uh, on those on those notes there, because that's what that's what you're about. Right. Get Reggie. I mean, that's that's the main thing you want to get through to your people. Well, let's you know, let's let's leave it off there. Um, it sounds like something that we can have you back at some point, hopefully, and uh, and we can we can continue on and continue to exchange ideas because that's that's what the strength of the show is, is really is it's not about, you know, the one one person just dictating for an hour. That's you know, that's that's not helping just just like with your team. You can't sit up there and just lecture for an hour with the team about the right way to do right. I, I love the idea of the circles that, that you bring forward. It's something I, I absolutely want to incorporate into, into our regular routine. Uh, you know, everybody's time is valuable. I appreciate you taking a, a little bit of time out of your life to spend with us here and with our listeners. Give us an idea. Where's, where's the best place that people get a hold of you? So a coach's diary. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. And I just started an official blog in December. It's at a coachesdiary.com. If you go to that website, they have a place for they have my email address at coachesdiary at gmail.com. Um, you can go on there and you can subscribe. Um, I do the best I can to respond to all messages. Facebook is a little bit difficult for me to answer messages on because I get a lot of spam in there. Um, but I but I, I try to do the best I can. But my email address at coachesdiary at gmail.com or at coachesdiary.com, the website are the best places to reach me. All right. Great. Well, again, really appreciate you taking the time with us. I think uh, I think this was fantastic. I hope our listeners will get as much out of this as I did. Uh, thanks for coming on, Reggie, and wish you nothing but success in the future. Thank you all so much. I'm grateful and thankful that you all invited me to be on here. This was a blast. Thank you all so much. I learned a lot.
Well, to tell you the truth, it was your doing. If you didn't put out such great content, I would have never reached out to you. So, I mean, what I'm going to tell you is, yes, I mean, I'm a big fan on Facebook. I look for your posts and I'll keep sharing them, you know, as, as much as I can. But I, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I thought it was great. And yeah, maybe like Dave said, maybe we'll do it again, you know, down the road sometime. It'd be great. I'd love to. I'd love to. This is it's like I said, it was a blast. Thank y'all. So that was our introduction to Reggie Bibb. What'd you think, coach? Oh, my God. I thought it was fantastic, Dave. He just brought, and again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said before we even spoke to Reggie. I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. And, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised at, really, everything that he stands for and everything that he brings to the table for his players. I thought it was great. Yeah, you know, you can tell, you can hear the the passion in his voice about player development, and and it's really human development. Yes. Uh, you know, it's it's again, he recognizes that what we're doing might wind up being a small part of this person's life, but if you can impact them in a big way, that translates into so many other aspects of life. Uh, you just everything he talks about is just just being so positive and so reinforcing the good. It's it's great to hear that from somebody that's. He's not a big name college coach or anything. You know, he's, I think he's more like us, although, you know, he's, his Facebook page has over 150,000 followers. So he's obviously doing some things right. Exactly. The message that he's sending is something that he should be very proud of because, again, with, with a following like that, it's, I mean, just to echo what you just said, yeah, he, he is doing something right. And I got to tell you, I mean, we spoke about it during the show the things that I was able to learn from, most importantly, the circles, what a great concept. Yeah, as soon as you said it, I, I was very impressed by that. I think that's a great idea. It's something I'm going to do what I can. Obviously, you know, again, I'm, I'm not the head coach, but I'm going to do what I can. I want to incorporate that in, whether it's once a week or whatever. You know, once, Especially once the season gets going, we have a rainy day when we're in the gym, something like that. That's, that's a great, uh, you know, they're, they're, when we're limited by what we can do indoors. It, it's a great thing to do, but it isn't just five minutes at the beginning of practice, five minutes at the end of practice, whatever. I, I, I think it's a great idea and I don't see how it can't help to help bring the team together. Yeah. And I, I mean, and I'm not sure if it, if it was during this interview, but you, you and I have talked and other guests, you know, people that we've, we've spoken to that a lot of this stuff is very simple and you know, it always amazes me when something like that comes up that I think is so impactful, but yet it's so simple. You get your players in a circle and, hey, what's your favorite ice cream? Very simple right. thing to do. And yeah, Well, I think, it was, I, I think it was Kirk, the last show, Kirk Cabana, where he said it was something along the lines of, it's tough, but it's simple. Right. Like most of this game, it's tough, but it's simple. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah. I mean, again, I, I can't thank Reggie enough. Great job. I thought it made for a really good show. I think that a lot of people will be able to take a lot of stuff from it. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. Yeah, he was great. He was great. So we want to remind everybody, I know he gave the information at the end of the show, but reach out to him. He's, he's at a coach's diary, basically on all of the social medias. Uh, he also has a coach's diary.com that website that he runs and he posts some good, interesting stuff there, a little bit longer form, obviously, than what you can do on uh, on just your Instagram or your or your Facebook pages. So uh, reach out to Reggie, follow him, 
make him part of your regular routine, you know, in the morning to look at because it's all positive. It's all good. And it's, it's only going to help you. So on that note, we want to ask you guys to make sure that you are also following us. We're at the CTB show. It's at the CTB show on Twitter. Both of us are on Twitter individually as well. You can look up our names, Facebook, clearing the bases. You've got at Gmail is uh, clearing the bases at gmail.com. So reach out to us. Let us know what you thought about the show. Let us know what you think about us, what topics you want us to bring up in the future. Any guests that want to come on, reach out to us. Our docket is filling up. It's always, you know, this time of year when uh, Jimmy hits the convention, it, it gives us a lot of a lot of good meat to chew through. So if we don't get back to you right away, don't get upset. It's a matter of timing. Uh, but go ahead and reach out to us. We love to hear and interact with our people. Give us those five stars. We want to keep the show going. We want to keep growing our audience and bringing you all the good content that you're looking for. I know what I'm looking for, and that's for you to always give us 100% effort and a positive mental attitude, PMA. Do both of those things, and great things will happen. Final thoughts, Coach? Well, I just want to let everybody know that we have a ton of guests coming up. Dave and I are still going to try and do a few shows, just him and I, talking about you know the latest topics. So stay tuned. There's going to be a lot of good stuff coming up. And lastly, I want to welcome Reggie Bibb to our circle of coaches who realize people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you on the next one. 